Evening Saints. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 21. Matthew 21, verse 28. Uh, when you have it, you can give me a hearty amen. All right, Christina, you're first. I'm going to start in verse 28 and then read to verse 46. This is the word of the Lord. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out, of the, let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard, these parable, heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray for him. Father, we thank you that your word is always true. We pray that you would, by the truth of your word, cut our hearts, convict, encourage, admonish, and that you would help me to proclaim your word rightly and point your people to Christ. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, many years ago, uh, there was a little article uh, 
uh, written in the New Yorker magazine. Anybody familiar with the New Yorker? Like one person. Uh, uh, well, it told the story of a Long Island man who ordered a very sensitive barometer. That's this instrument that measures weather. And, and he ordered it from a respected company called Abercrombie & Fitch. So before, I didn't know this, but before they were a clothing store for, for teenagers and, 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 and fashionable, or seemingly fashionable young adults, they were a top line maker of sporting goods and, and all sorts of devices and equipment that you would need to go on adventures or be out in the outdoors, like fishing rods and, and guns and boots and, and barometers. Uh, and, and, and the article itself reads... This is from the actual article. It says, it arrived in the morning of September 21st. He unwrapped it and was disgusted to find the needle stuck at hurricane. After shaking it in a vain attempt to start it working right, he sat down and wrote a sharp letter to ANF, that's Abercrombie and Fitch, and went right out to mail it. When he returned, his house was gone and the barometer with it. The barometer was right. The month was September. The year was 1938, and the hurricane was, this is before they named hurricanes, was later called the Long Island Express or the Great New England Hurricane. It was the most destructive storm to hit that region in the 20th century, and it almost leveled the entire island. Rather than assume that in his inability to predict the future patterns of the weather, he could be wrong and the barometer, which is designed to be right, could actually be right, he got mad at the ones who provided him with an instrument that could and did accurately warn him of coming destruction. He rejected its message. He rejected it, and, and he not only lost his house, he lost the one thing that might warn him of destruction in the future. And I'm sure if he'd listened, he'd be much happier for it. Well, family, the Lord Jesus is not a barometer. Uh, he actually controls the seas and the winds and the rain and the waves. He's God's son come from heaven with a warning of coming judgment of all who reject him and a message of good news for all who receive him. This is salvation to all who repent and trust in him. And as we'll see in our text today, he is rejected and he is rejected by the religious leaders of his day. And he's also rejoiced in by those who trust in him, as we'll see. And he illustrates all of this and rebukes the those who are rejecting him by sharing two parables that we just read. And the first is about two sons working in a vineyard. And the second is about the keepers of a vineyard and what happens to, to those keeping that particular vineyard. And the parables have the added benefit, as all parables do, of preaching on, the, on their own. They preach themselves. And so all I really want to do is explain them. And then I want to give us some things to consider for our own lives from each of these parables in the words of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and I'm going to do this through two very simple points, just two words, rejection and rejoicing. So if you're a note taker, point number one is rejection. Point number two is rejoicing. Point number one, rejection. Remember, we've been working our way through the book of Matthew, and this is Jesus nearing the end of his ministry. He's continuing to publicly separate himself 
from Judaism by displaying and defining what his kingdom is, who is in his kingdom, what his kingdom is like, and how those who are in it behave and live their lives. And, and so he's, he's done this in a couple ways. The first is he's cleansed the temple, and, and by evicting these merchants and, and the thieving money changers, uh, he permits the lame and the blind to come to him, and he heals them, and he welcomes children into the temple, and he affirms their their, their affirmation of who he is, Hosanna, son of David, and this upsets the religious leaders. And then he, re- he leaves, and then he returns to the temple, and he starts teaching in the temple with authority, and this upsets the religious leaders and teachers, and they question his authority. And last week we left off in the middle of the, this conversation of these, these religious leaders, the the Sadducees, or the Sanhedrin rather, questioning Jesus' authority. And so now when Jesus speaks, he is going to speak these parables to those who challenge him with the authority that they question. He speaks with authority. And so let's look at the first parable, which is inside of our first point, rejection. Uh, This is a parable of two sons, and each one gets the same instruction from his father. Go and work in the vineyard today. Go and do work in my vineyard. And one refuses at first, but the text says afterward he changes his mind and he goes. To change one's mind is the very meaning of repentance. Yeah, repentance. To rethink something or to think differently about something. The other son makes a very respectful, very polite, but very empty promise. He answers, I I go, sir. But he did not go. And Jesus invites them to speak on the matter. Those who challenge him. He says, what do you think? Which of the two did the will of his father? And then Jesus makes his rebuke after they answer the first. He says, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. For the first time, Jesus is directly applying one of his parables to the Jewish leaders and the ones who are so angry with him for upsetting their religious system uh, and, and, and the fact that they, that they can't wield their power without being uh, questioned by him. They're, they're so upset that they, that they are angered, that they are being challenged, that they're stealing from the poor. And, and, and here Jesus looks directly at them and says, truly I say to you, and in Jesus saying this with authority, what he's saying is this parable is about you. The chief priests and the elders are like the son who talks a very good game, very religious, very well-mannered, very polite, very respectful, but with a heart that has no intention of obeying anything. Remember that Jesus has just linked John the Baptist's message with his own. And John came to them preaching a message of repentance and faith in the Lamb of God. And, and the, one, the ones who, who had all the appearance of religion and of godliness and of piety and of right relationship with God are the ones that reject John's message and reject the Messiah. There is no repentance in them. Even though they say, oh, yeah, we love, we love God. 
There's no repentance in them. And Jesus is publicly telling them and all who are listening that the religious leaders of the day are the biggest hypocrites of all of them. All talk, no repentance, no entry into the kingdom of heaven. But who gets into the kingdom of heaven? The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Understand that this is a statement that's made with divine authority. He just made a public statement to the religious leaders about who gets into the kingdom of, of God. This is the kind of statement that only one who wields the power of a king can make. He sees through the, the dressing of their religious politeness to their very heart. And he's not fooled. And we will often say with full acceptance that yes, God sees. He, he's all seeing, and which means that he sees everything. It means that he sees through what you see and what I see. And he sees through me. He sees our hearts and the heart of those who were on the outside can considered the scum of society, tax collectors and prostitutes can live a life that for a time says no to God, but then repents and does the will of the Father. They enter into the kingdom. So what is Jesus doing but ripping down the idea that that Jewishness or religiosity, the things that these religious leaders prided themselves in, are actually worth anything. It makes no difference in the kingdom of God. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Paul says, and Peter at, at Jerusalem says this in, in, in Acts 15, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe, and God knows the heart. He bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us, and He made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. So the righteousness of the religious leaders is merely words, and that is not enough. It's not the words themselves that are actually rejected. It's the heart behind the words. Words are, are part of our profession of faith. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And so all different kinds of sinners can come to Christ if they confess with their mouth and their hearts are transformed by His grace and they're given saving faith, they will be saved. I, I do think it's interesting here that there is no indicator of how much time went by before the one son changed his mind, repented, and did the Father's will. It could have been a little while. It could have been a long while. And to the one who's not following Jesus, I would plead with you, don't let there be any more time between your no and I will go. Come to Christ now. He stands at the door waiting to receive you. Come to Him now. You don't know what's around the next corner. You don't know if you'll ever get another opportunity to trust in Him. 
Listen to James Boyce when he says, if you delay now, you have no guarantee that you will be able to come to Jesus later. You may, but sin takes its toll. And one of the things sin does is trap us so that we cannot get free even if we want to. And usually we don't even want that freedom. I would plead with you, come to Jesus now. Kids, kids, when I was little, your age, I used to think, when I'm older, I will, I'll follow Jesus then. When I'm older, I'll be smarter, I'll be wiser. I used to picture myself on a rocking chair, drinking lemonade and, and making wise sayings. I think I saw it in the movies. And I thought, when I'm older, that's, that's, when, I'll, that's when I'll follow Jesus. Do you, do, do you feel that way? Maybe. My encouragement to you is this. God wants you to confess your sins right now. He wants you to repent and follow him right now. And he's told you right now. That he so loved the world that he gave his only son. If you believe in him now, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. Go to Jesus now. And if you want to know more about what that means, just talk to mom and dad, whoever's at home with you. Or you can talk to, you can talk to one of the pastors here. You can come and talk to me. What about the second parable? The tenants. First had two sons, second has wicked tenants, and tells how men that picked by the master, picked by their master, handpicked to manage this vineyard, and, and they hurt the owner's servants and they kill his son. Both parables find people working in the same place, a vineyard. Vineyards were used all throughout the Old Testament to represent God's kingdom and God's people. And Jesus says that the vineyard owner, the master of the house, plants a vineyard and puts a fence around it, a protection around it. He puts a wine press in it and he builds a tower to, to watch over it. And, and this is a direct reference to Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, where Israel is seen as God's vineyard. It's often called Isaiah's parable of the vine. I'll just read a couple verses, the first two verses from it. Isaiah says this, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And so Jesus is referencing this obviously on purpose. Notice in Isaiah's parable that the master of the vineyard goes looking for fruit. He goes looking for good fruit. I looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. In other words, he looks for good fruit and he finds bad fruit. And Hosea 10 talks about this same vineyard. It says the reason that there's bad fruit there is because of Israel's idolatry. He says, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. 
as his country improved, he improved its, uh, his pillars. Their heart is false now. They must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. And what does Isaiah 5, 5 say? That now I will tell you that I will, what I will do to my vineyard, I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. So none of this is lost on the religious leaders. They know exactly what Jesus is talking about. They would have understood exactly what he was referencing. All throughout the Old Testament, God, his father, sent his servants, the prophets from Jonah to John the Baptist into his vineyard, his people, his kingdom to call them away from their idols and all of their bad fruit to repentance and faith in him so that they might bear fruit for his glory. And they hated their message. They rejected them. They abused them. John the Baptist, they killed him. And God would come himself into his vineyard. He would come into his own vineyard, into, into his, among his own people to call them away from their idols to repentance and faith in him. And what would they do? They would kill him too. There was a man sent from God whose name was John who came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is what Jesus is trying to tell them. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of man, nor the, nor the flesh, but of God. And that's Jesus' point. These are the religious leaders, the teachers of God's word, the ones who are supposed to protect and, and look after God's people. And they're stealing from them and they're lying from them in the and, and, and they're lying to them and they're taking things from them in the temple and they're throwing fits of anger when, 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 the, when the Son of God comes to confront them. They've rejected his message. They've rejected John the Baptist's message. And their last feat of rebellion is going to be crucifying the Son of God. And why do they want to crucify the Son of God? Look at verse 38 so that they might have his inheritance. What does the son inherit? What does Jesus inherit? The glory and praise of the nations. Psalm 2, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage or your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. And this is what they want. They want the glory. They want all the glory. And they see Jesus taking what is rightly his and they lash out. And they will kill him. In the same psalm, they're warned. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled and God sends his very own son and they don't kiss him. They'd rather kill him. 
They'd rather see him undone rather than them, their, their hearts be undone by their, by their sin and humbled to repentance. They'd rather, they'd rather lash out in anger against the one who came to save them. They have the opportunity to be made right, but they would rather, because the text says they fear the crowd, look right in front of everybody else. They have the opportunity to come to Christ, lest he be angry. But they reject him, and that rejection will be their destruction. Jesus says the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruits. In other words, the very thing that they are trying to keep by their hatred and rejection of Jesus is, is lost. You reject the king, you lose the kingdom. But those who embrace the king are brought into his kingdom. And God's kingdom is a nation full of people from every corner of the world. His own people did not receive him, John says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The religious leaders want to arrest Jesus, kill him, and give him a miserable death, and they will. They'll get their wish. He will go to the cross and they'll think that they've won, think that they've gotten one up on Jesus. But, but, but just three days later, we know this. They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. So just what the Pharisees, religious leaders and the elites of the day thought that they had had won in the death of Jesus, he's proven that they've They've lost because he's been resurrected from the grave. Not even death could conquer him. He conquered death. And many did and still do continue to mock and reject the risen Christ, the cornerstone. And their end is always the same. The very Christ that they reject is the one that will crush them. Jesus says, break them into pieces. What keeps people from Jesus is that they refuse to accept him. It's not for lack of information. It's not because there's a lack of exposure or clarity. It's, it's that they refuse to accept the son because they prefer their own way. This is our nature. And if left unchanged by the Holy Spirit, we will forever reject the Son. Romans 3 says, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. This is who we are. At our core, listen to R.C. Sproul. He says, it is not enough to say that natural man views God as an enemy. We must, more, we must be more precise. God is our mortal enemy. 
He represents the highest possible threat to our sinful desires. His repugnance to us is absolute, knowing no lesser degrees, no amount of persuasion by men or argumentation from philosophers or theologians can induce us to love God. We despise his very existence and would do anything in our power to rid the universe of his holy presence. And so at our best, this is who we are. We reject the Son. Just say, I love God. I don't reject Christ. I'm a Christian. I love the Lord Jesus. It's a quick story. Someone let Cindy and I borrow some baby stuff. Okay, so like high chair and pack and play and some, some other stuff in there too. And the high chair was, it was kind of like this Cadillac of high chairs. Uh, it had like, it had like a hydraulic button on it. It had like a, a real leather seats. Um, I'm sure that if, you know, I'm sure that if I, I, over time I could have found something that would cause it to maybe fly. I don't know. It was, it was, it was an expensive high chair. It was nice. And we held on to them until Olivia was born. And she used them too. It was it's almost tw like 12 years. Somewhere in this span of time, we ended up letting someone borrow the high chair and it got really messed up. And I remember saying, oh, snap, babe, like that's, that's not ours. That's not ours. That's, that's, that doesn't belong to us. Don't you remember? It's been 12 years. It was sitting in our garage. So we said, we got a high chair? Yeah, we got a high chair. And we'd both forgotten that it, it, it didn't belong to us. We'd held on to it for so long that, that we had forgotten that it didn't belong to us and that it was owned by someone else. And, and then the owner came asking for it. Twelve years later. And we said, yeah, uh, how much for the high chair? Before you scoff at the chief priests and the elders, you have to see yourself in them. We are no different. You see, the accusation that Jesus lays out in his story about the tenets is that their sin, their sin has them mistaken. They thought just because they'd been given charge over the vineyard and the master left, that it was their vineyard. That it was their kingdom. And the owner of the vineyard had come to gather its fruit. He sends his preachers to call out the fruit and call the people to repentance. And they go, get, what are you doing? Get out of here. This is our vineyard. This is our kingdom. And we are no different. We are no different. We we so often believe that because we've been living our Christian life for however long we've been living our Christian life, that it belongs to us. And when God, when God brings conviction to us and sends preachers or, or friends or counselors or husbands or wives or, or brothers or sisters to confront you and you're saying, you go, get out of here. Like, what are you doing? It's my life. This is my life. And the more you do that, 
the more you try to convince yourself that you are the one that's able to call the shots in your own life, the easier it will, it will be to do. The evil tenants in the parable did not start by killing the servants. They started by first hypocritically saying, I'll go, and then they don't go. And then, they, and then in the next parable, they start by abusing and, 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 and mistreating, and then they end up killing them. But once they started to protect the lie that this kingdom or vineyard was their own, they had to keep protecting it. And we are no different. The more we try to convince ourselves that, that we, God's vineyard, God's vine, don't belong to God but to us, the easier it will be to continue to reject Him. The easier it will be to continue to scoff at conviction. The easier it will continue to be to, to persist in sin. Before we scoff at the chief priests and the elders who reject the Son, we have to remember that apart from God's grace, that's what we do too. The good news is that God sent Jesus because he's jealous for his vineyard family. And so if he's, if he's messing with your life right now, what you feel like is messing with your life, with suffering, or with exposing your sin or conviction, if he's uprooting some things, and you go, what is, what is he doing in my life, friend? This is mine, and you're ruining it. I had this wonderful plan, and I had all these things laid out, and you've, you've ruined it. He's not ruined anything. He loves you supremely if you are in Christ. It's to remind you that your life is not your own. You belong to him and you were purchased with the price of his life and you can rejoice. Which leads us to our last point. Jesus said to them, having never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. The text he's referencing is Psalm 118. The crowds quoted this earlier, a different section of it, when they cried out to him, Hosanna, son of David. And here Jesus quotes the verses just before that. Let me read them to you with emphasis on what makes all the difference for the one who accepts the Son. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So if you are here and you are rejoicing in the rejection of Christ at the cross, the crucifixion of the Son for sinners... If you are rejoicing in that, if you, if you glory in the cross, if you lifted your hands in heartfelt worship to the risen Christ this afternoon, this is the Lord's doing. This is the Lord's doing. We rejoice in the cross and it's marvelous in our eyes because it's of the Lord. The day you believed is the day that the Lord made. The Lord gave you that day, and you rejoice in it. 
1 Peter 2, 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. Isn't the, I mean, the Bible just preaches? They're going to do anything. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What keeps people from Jesus is willful rejection of Jesus. What brings people to Jesus is Jesus. Bringing you to the cross where he was poured out for you, made a curse for you, punished in your place, and, and he shows you your sin And by His grace, He gives you a new heart. The difference between the two sons in the first parable is God's grace. And the difference between the hypocrites who kill the Son and the ones who embrace Him is God's undeserving, unearned, freely given, abundant, and amazing grace. If the cross is marvelous to you, it's all of undeserving grace. And if it's grace that brought you, it's grace that keeps you, saints. This is a, this is a room full of many people who are, who are only rejoicing because God has in His unfathomable love and mercy caused you to rejoice. He saved you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were a child of wrath like everybody else. But God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, church. Even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. Do you abide in the vine today? Do you belong to the Son? Have you kissed the Son? Do you rest in the cornerstone for salvation? If the answer is yes, you can just look to your neighbor and say, you didn't do that. You didn't do that. If he's brought conviction your way, even if he's permitted suffering for you, he's permitted it. It's still the day that the Lord has made. And you have cause to rejoice and be glad in it because even in the suffering that, her, that he permits, you go, who are you messing up my life for? He says, I'm not messing up anything. Don't you know I love you? And I'm jealous for you and I desire that, 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 that you know me more. And this is best for you. Here's my final consideration for you. I have three of them. They're very simple. Christian, do not reject the conviction of the Lord when he's at work in his vineyard. Here's vineyard. Trust that Jesus died was rejected for your good, for your good. He 
He upturns this illusion that your life is yours to show you that your life is his and that you are safe in the crucified and risen Christ and he will one day bring you to himself. Don't reject, scoff at, complain about, grumble about what the Lord is doing in your life because it belongs to him. You belong to him. The second is rejoice in the God of your salvation. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. If you don't feel like rejoicing, do it anyway and pray that God would change your heart to feel what you proclaim. If you don't feel like singing, do it anyway and ask God to change your heart to feel what you sing about. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. God has this amazing way of turning our hearts when we actually do what He's called us to do. And lastly, to those who reject Christ, no one expects the hurricane of God's judgment to come, but it will come for everyone who reject the Son. And I would plead with you to trust in Christ today. And Christian, continue to warn and encourage those to trust in the one that you've trusted in for salvation and to not reject him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that if we can amen in Christ's name with hearts that have been changed by him, it's because of his work in our life and not our own. Would you keep us from hypocrisy? Would you keep us from rejecting you in even in our lives as believers? Would you keep us from rejecting Christ and the work that he seeks to do in our lives? Would you help us to see that all you do for us is mercy and good for our sanctification? Would you give us grace to believe it and to encourage one another in it? I ask this for your glory in the precious name of Christ.